Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so I expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and a true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is our NBA play-in tournament reactions and our first round predictions. But before we get to that, we have a very special guest welcoming back to the Hoop Talk podcast. And I have to make sure I get this intro right because there's a lot here to say. <laughs> so writer for Mavs Moneyball, co-host of the Blue Harwood Dallas Mavericks podcast, co-host of the Gunshot NBA podcast, and might I add, recent college graduate, please welcome <laughs> Lauren Gunn. Thank you. You killed it. You did. I mean, it was perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for having me back as well. It's uh, I always love talking to you guys and, and chatting everything hoops. Hey, I think we should just not waste any more time. We got to get right into this because <laughs> there's a lot to talk about with this playing tournament. And I think the playing tournament concept itself is very interesting. A lot of people like it and a lot of people hate it, a.k.a. LeBron James and the Dallas Mavericks. So <laughs> it's true. <laughs> So, Lauren, I kind of want to get your opinion real quick mm-hmm. on the playing tournament concept. What did you think about it this year? You know, it's really tough because obviously going throughout the year, maybe your opinion changes a little bit given your <laughs> current performance. And so there are definitely moments where coming from a Dallas perspective, you're like, oh, I don't like this playing tournament, but I can't. I mean, luckily we avoided it, but I mean, you can't discredit the entertainment that came with those some of those games maybe more so than others but definitely the anticipation and the race to the finish line I mean from the Mavericks perspective we were watching every single Lakers game every single Portland Trailblazers game where are we going to finish are we going to all have this three-way tie like what is going to happen and it was chaos and so um, I remember somebody else mentioned like half when we played the Wizards the announcers said the war with the play-in tournament the Wizards like they would probably be shooting for a high lottery pick or like a high draft pick and here they are fighting to save their season with guys like Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal on their roster. So um, it's hard because it can't, it's like a hindsight 2020 thing. Like, Oh, we avoided it. And so I can't just be like, Oh, I love it. But the entertainment has been unreal personally. I think that they should do my brother and I were talking about this. I think that they should just do eight and nine. And then only if they're within a certain number of games, because seven, like that really sucks. And 10, if you're not quite within a couple of games, I don't really think you deserve to be there. So I, if there's a way to make it eight, nine, I think that might be a little bit better. But the LeBron Steph Curry showdown was unreal. And we're definitely going to get to that LeBron Steph Curry showdown. But Jalen, I think there's something interesting about this playing tournament concept, because most of the games outside that LeBron Steph Curry matchup were blowouts. So was there anything that the playing tournament kind of proved or do you see something else with the playing tournament that we're not seeing? So I think that's a great way to like phrase it is what did it prove? I think the biggest thing coming into the play-in tournament was people were looking at it and wondering, was this going to be some kind of disadvantage to the teams that were at seven and eight being in the circumstances that they were, they've never had to play for their playoff lives in the final you know, 10 games or so of the season, let alone a tournament to be able to hold onto their final spot. But the home teams in all five games that have been played so far won. Mm-hmm. So the better team, quote unquote, finished out in the spot where they were meant to be at, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the, regardless of the tournament itself. So I think what it proved, if anything, I think to a certain extent, it kind of makes it where 
there's there's a wondering, at least for me personally, whether or not it's absolutely necessary. I think what Lauren said about eight nine is maybe a little interesting because of the fact that like, yes, it opens up that last little spot to fight in, but it's not like unleashing like when it was nine and ten, like it unleashed something that was almost a little bit more than what we needed. You know what I mean? Like I don't see the Pacers or Hornets or as real, you know threats in the first round to the yeah. 76ers or the Brooklyn Nets for example not to say that the Celtics and Wizards are a significant threat to them but they're a significant threat in comparison to those two other teams um now in the Western Conference that's tricky because I think the Lakers are I mean I think historically I think this is like the first time in 30 years or something I saw where like and a seven seed is like favored over a second seed or something crazy like that. Like their circumstances are significantly different. The difference between the Lakers being seventh and facing the Suns versus the Lakers being eighth and facing Utah. I think that could be the difference between the Lakers being able to move on to the second round and the difference between being out in the first, you know what I mean? So it's, it's a really interesting concept. I think it's one of those things we're still going to have to kind of see over the course of time and see how that whole home team element ends up, you know, factoring in on a year to year basis. But I mean, I got to go with Lauren in terms of the fun factor of it. I mean, at the end of the day, blowouts or not, we still got some really entertaining games and they, the play in tournament made the last month of the regular season matter. That's something we haven't seen at all. And I mean, the fact Mm -hmm. that they could do that, you got to give credit where credit is due. And you talked about some of these matchups. I want to talk about two of them specifically. First, we're going to talk about the Hornets and the Pacers. This was the first matchup in the playing tournament. And Lauren, I want to start with you on this one because there was a lot of talent on this team, but they were also very young too. I mean, LaMelo mm-hmm. Ball, rookie of the year candidate. Devontae Graham was a great scorer for them coming off the bench. And then P.J. Washington, the rise of him throughout the season. But because of the lack of playoff experience, do you think that was the biggest reason for the Hornets' downfall in that game? I do. I think that that was probably number one, in my opinion. I also think um, some of the injuries and the timing of some of the injuries that they've had have prevented the continuous build of the continuity within your lineups and kind of in preparation for the playoffs or the play in or wherever their eyes were at or their focus was at, I should say. But I do think that that's the biggest one. They have a lot of talent on that roster. I think the Hornets are a very fun team. I think the Martin, the Martin brothers are fun. Um, like you said, like Terry Rose, all the names that you mentioned, they're a fun team. And I think that they've got a bright future, but it's the fact that They don't have a whole lot of playoff experience. And when you go look at the Pacers roster, I really, I actually really like the construction of the Pacers roster. Coaching is a whole different conversation, but the roster is, I really like it. And so, and they weren't even at full strength. And so um, I don't know. I just, I don't know that that was the best matchup for Charlotte, but I think you guys, myself and everyone else out there is, would say that Charlotte, this is not the last time Charlotte will be making waves uh, towards the end of the season. And that's a good point and a good transition to my question for Jalen, because with this team and the the potential that this team has, what do you think their ceiling is for next season? I mean, considering where they were within the 10 spot, I mean, it's tricky. I think the biggest thing that they need to address is the center position. I think it was one of the things that was discussed the most around the trade deadline. That's where the Andre Drummonds of the world kept getting thrown out. And of course that didn't end up coming to fruition, but, Funny enough, I think he actually would have produced more on this team than he would 
or it has for the Lakers, but you know, Mm -hmm. we'll address that at a later date. But I mean, overall, when it comes to this team, I still think that they fall within that eight to 10 range, just because I don't see a lot of these teams in the Eastern conference falling off anytime soon. I mean, we have to think about some of the constants, the 76ers, the Nets, Bucks, Heat, Celtics. Those are four or five teams off the rip that I feel like we're able to casually pencil in the Raptors had an off year but at the end of the day dude they were playing in Vegas and they were in a circumstance that was very unnatural in comparison to a lot of the other teams in the NBA the fact that the Knicks are on the rise the way they are is a very interesting concept and the fact that they have a lot of money to throw out this offseason makes them a threat to everybody and the Hawks I don't think Trey Young is going to get a taste of the postseason and then somehow regress. I don't know. It's kind of hard to ask him to be any better than he's been. But at the same time, this team has prepared themselves to be a playoff contender by getting guys like Danilo Gallinari locked up by getting guys are trading for guys like Clint Capella, for example, as well. So it's a lot of teams in this Eastern Conference that are trying to make a play towards the playoffs and this play in tournament concept has only made it where more teams believe they have a playoff chance so i think that the hornets fall into a weird little pocket where i still will put them between eight to ten but they got a lot of teams to fight against before they can really you know solidify themselves as like an actual postseason threat but this team goes as lamella ball does i think that a full year of lamella ball is going to tell us a lot more about where this team's trajectory is like moving forward I think they also need one really like one more really decent draft class. I think that this past one with LaMelo Ball at the top of the, at the top of the key for them has done wonders for them as a franchise. Now it's kind of time to start actually building this team with the intention of trying to be something more than just the fun team everybody keeps labeling them as. And I think it's interesting that you mentioned like the weakness is the center position because they just drafted Vernon Carey in the second round of this past this past year's draft. So I think it's going to be interesting to see the development and if he ever takes over the starting center role. Flipping the script and talking about the other team, the Indiana Pacers, Lauren, I kind of felt like we were waiting for this Indiana team to put up this type of a performance on the Hornets the entire season. What did you think was the biggest reason behind their win against the Hornets? Oh gosh, that's a good question. Um, and I, I don't know that I can necessarily like pinpoint it on my gut says, and I don't know that this is necessarily the best answer, but they have a lot to prove. They've got a good roster. They've got an all-star. They've got quality pieces and there's some turmoil with on the outside looking in. And so you can't really afford to blow it to a young team that has no experience. And so sometimes those things are out of your control, but I think the Pacers um, I mean, like Jalen said that there, you don't really expect them in comparison to like, uh, to maybe Washington and Boston, you don't expect them to, to go in and do a whole lot, but they have decent pieces. They have guys that have experience and they should be able to get in there or they should be better than they are is what I'm trying to get at, but they're just not. And so I'm not sure if that's like a top to bottom problem, like a top down approach kind of angle, I guess. But, uh, yeah, I think that they had a lot to prove. And so they needed to get in there and just take care of business. And I mean, against Charlotte, it, it happened, but you know. They couldn't hold their end of the deal against the Wizards. And Jalen, this is a good transition to you because I mean, the Pacers, this is now another season where they aren't even making the playoffs this time. Whereas the past four seasons, they make the playoffs and they get eliminated in the first round. Where do you think the Pacers go from here? Well, see, the Pacers have like this weird like 
incomplete status situation taking place with their season. You know, you get Karis LeVert midway through the year, but you don't actually get him because of the whole, you know, internal situation that was taking place with him that was making it where he was physically unable to produce on the court. You factor in the fact that Miles Turner was out for most of the year after being what, like a top three defensive player of the year candidate, like earlier on in the season. You missed TJ Warren for the entire year after coming off of like probably his best stretch in his in his NBA career thus far, even counting back to his time as Phoenix and Phoenix, where, you know, he was arguably a six man of the year candidate every single year. Last season was it for him, though. I, nobody is probably giving TJ Warren the kind of notoriety he got from coming from the bubble. So I think that all of that kind of coupled with a lot of the internal turmoil stuff that like Lauren kind of mentioned briefly about the coaching situation. I think you factor all of that stuff in. And I think, look, don't get me wrong. Nate McMillan took them to a ceiling and it was a consistent ceiling. That was one of those things that I guess they couldn't seem to break out of via talent barrier or anything like that. It was something that coaching wasn't going coaching. Coaching was the only thing that they could address in order to raise their floor, you know what I'm saying? Or I guess raise their ceiling in this case. But I think in reality, bro, like I think you just needed to give Nate McMillan one more piece. And I feel like they they got the piece after firing the guy. Like, you know what I mean? It's kind of like if we look at the Nick Nurse situation, right? You mean to tell me all we had to do was watch LeBron leave and we can go <laughs> to the finals? Like, you could have just, you know, like, let's just give it a chance. But instead, you kind of jumped the gun trying to be, quote unquote, proactive. So I think there's a lot of different things that happen with Indiana. I think at the end of the day, I think what Lauren said about having something to prove, you got to stick your chest out against a young a Hornets team when everybody's kind of like, counting against you as the injured team that is going to get smacked up by the young bucks and all this stuff like that. And of course it flipped on their head against a Washington wizards team that has two all-star caliber players on it. So it goes to show you where the talent discrepancy is overall. I mean, look, dude, at the end of the day, I think with Indiana, they're in a situation where there's nowhere really for them to go. And that's kind of like an unfortunate reality for them. But as the rest of the East continues to elevate his game, Unless you mean to tell me one of these guys outside of Sabonis is going to become a full-blown perennial all-star, I mean, Indiana is in a weird pocket, so I don't know. I feel like it's a situation like Orlando this past year because they do have a lot of talent, and maybe it's time to pull the plug on this team and rebuild, but I feel like there's a lot of questions behind that. Like, Do you build the team around Karis LeVert? Do you build the team around DeMontis Sabonis? Where does Miles Turner end up in all this? I just think it, there's a lot of questions that I think are going to be answered this offseason. Also, I don't even know if uh, Nate Bjorkren is going to stick around as the Pacers coach, too. I think he's gone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's gone. He's gone. He's gone. It was, I guess it's a one and done type of deal, but <laughs> hey, I, I mean, he tried. He, he, he tried. tried. <laughs> Excellent audition. Excellent yeah. audition, but tough, bro. I don't know. It's funny. But I think it's it's a good transition now from a blowout to a close game because this Lakers-Warriors game was crazy was for the crazy. most part. And, I mean, let's just start with the Lakers. And, Lauren, I want to start with you because the Lakers were down for most of the game. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like in the third quarter, the thing that really turned the tide was them playing in Wesley Matthews and him hitting, like, a couple of threes. 
I'm not going to lie. I was kind of shocked when it was Wesley Matthews who led a comeback and then a Kyle Kuzma fast break. But in all seriousness, is LeBron just that good? Or were there other factors that really helped contribute to this win? Uh, I think LeBron is, is that good because I mean, maybe this is just my perspective, but my, to give you guys just a, I don't know, however you want to phrase this, but I'm sitting there watching the game with my dad and the Warriors are up like 12 or 15 or something. And it's like the second quarter, maybe even the third quarter. My dad looks at me and he goes, are the Lakers going to come back? Or like, is this, is this kind of a done deal? And I go, are you kidding me? Like, and so I just, it's LeBron it's, and I think he has the ability to legitimately strike fear in his opponents because the second he gains any sort of momentum you need to throw that off because when he gets momentum the crowd gets into it I mean he throws down one dunk and the crowd is insane it seems like guys start knocking down their shots I mean it just it's crazy the the impact that he can have on that team and so uh, I think the body language if his body language is is top or like intense and excited the rest of his teammates are going to follow suit but I really do think he is just that good because the Warriors I liked the game that they were playing I was very intrigued to see how Draymond was going to do his best to contain AD and I thought he did a pretty good job for for most of the game uh but and I mean the it wasn't to me it was more so of the Lakers kind of saying all right we got to tighten the screws and just take control of this thing because we do have you know, more firepower to throw at them than, than they have to throw at us uh, more so than the, the Warriors just giving it away um, because there's only so much you can do with Steph, Cor- Steph Curry off the floor. Like it, it's, it's really, really tough. And so I thought that they held their own pretty okay. And I'll be honest with you, I was pushing for them so hard. I wanted them to win that game so bad. And when they didn't, I was red hot, but um, I mean, that's the way it goes. And I mean, I expected the Lakers to win that game and LeBron hitting that shot. I mean, that's just LeBron for you. Like if the moment is on the line, odds are he's going to get it done. I mean, you know, when Drake's at a Lakers game, you know, LeBron's going to try to go off. So. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. No kidding. But the other thing too, and like you mentioned a good point with the shot, like LeBron took a thumb to the eye by Draymond. I think at like 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter, somewhere around that. And then he chucked up the shot and he saw like three rims and aimed for the middle. Maybe that was either pure luck or like, you know what? LeBron might just be that great. But Jalen, I want to transition to you because, I mean, we talked about like Wesley Matthews as the guy who turned around a comeback. But, I mean, who's a player that you expect to have a breakout game against the Suns in the next round outside of LeBron and AD? Because I feel like there's at least five players that we could say maybe that's the case. I mean, you're not going to like my answer. That's kind of the unfortunate part about it is because, I mean, it's Alex Caruso, bro. I, mean, I was going to say it. I'm going to keep it a bean with you. I mean, four, 14 points in 30 minutes. The team played better. I mean, the I'm, look, bro, we just have to address the elephant in the room. I understand. Look, LeBron, great. AD, triple-double in this game. I mean, or uh, LeBron, triple-double in this game. AD, double-double in this game with 25 and 12. Like, Excellent between those two. But let's just, like, address the elephant in the room. Andre Drummond, net negative, played 17 minutes. They played better without him on the floor. Dennis Schroeder started hot dog, and he started literally trying to gamble on defense, and Steph was cooking him the entire night to the point that basically they took him off the floor. That's where the whole Wesley Matthews, Alex Caruso thing kind of started generating, and then, boom, they kind of took off. Montrezl Harrell played 10 minutes. Marcus Gasol did not play. So basically, 
you're telling us what we already knew, which is the Lakers are best when Anthony Davis plays center, right? Right. That's like you're telling us something we've known the entire season and it just came into fruition in a game that meant more than a regular season game. This would meant so much more. And so all it did was put in perspective, this team is built to make a run off their two guys. I mean, period, point blank. Now, outside of that, like I said before, and I think Alex Caruso is the guy. Now, it's weird to kind of label him as some kind of closer or anything of the uh, anything of the sort, but at the guard position, he's the only player that I feel like is truly under control. Wesley, Wesley Matthews is a guy who has to kind of get, like, hot. You know what I mean? Or he's a guy that, like, he does a lot more of his dirt on, on D than he does as an offensive threat. Dennis Schroeder, look, you got to be careful with somebody who's playing for some money. And this dude is playing for a contract and he's been talking about wanting to be a starter all year. That's tricky. So with that being the case, the dude who has nothing to lose and everything to gain is Alex Caruso. And he showed that on the floor. So, I mean, in reality, that's number three for me. There's no playoff Rondo no more. So I guess the dude with the headband is going to have to go crazy. I was going to say Marcus all honestly, because I think they do better with him on the floor with him and Anthony Davis on the floor at the same time. And, the fact that he was a DMP tonight, I mean, or not tonight, but when the Warriors played the Lakers, I mean, Jalen, you're right. They kind of proved the, the point that they're just kind of sticking with their two guys. And I feel like that might end up being their downfall when we talk about the Lakers and the Suns matchup later in the episode. But flipping the scripts of the Warriors now, Lauren, Steph has been the main scorer for this team throughout the season. Looking ahead to, to tonight's game against the Grizzlies, do you think Steph's going to be able to keep this up tonight? Um, personally, yeah. I, 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 in my opinion, you can't bet against Steph. There are certain guys in the league that are going to get theirs no matter what. Um, and so it, it's tough. Dylan Brooks is, I mean, he puts people in like, you can't underestimate him. I mean, you just can't. But Steph is so slippery off the ball. He constantly stays moving. Um, and you have to run your offense through him. And so, in my opinion, I can't imagine this Warriors team, well, this Warriors team operating without having Steph Curry scoring the ball. So I I don't know that he's going to go off for like 40 or 50, but I would be surprised if he was low 20s. That would would surprise me. And I think it's interesting you mentioned Dylan Brooks too, because, I mean, he was one of the top scorers against the the Spurs in that other playing game. game. And, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but like, I kept watching the game and Dylan Brooks kept doing the same move. He kept going right to the line and just shot a jumper right at the line. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's how he got most of his buckets and it just seemed like the Spurs couldn't stop him. You made an interesting point with Steph and, you know, nobody on the team really can compare to him, which is going to be interesting for the question that I asked Jalen. Steph was doubled on the last play of the game. If Steph struggles, who's the second option for Golden State? I mean, it's Andrew Wiggins by, like, default, right? Because the main thing with Draymond Green is his defensive acumen and the fact that everything is ran through him from a facilitating standpoint. At this point, if you watch Draymond Green play basketball, Draymond Green does not look at the rim when he gets the ball in his hands. And I don't mean that disrespectfully, but it's in a situation where he is literally looking for the best ways to be able to set Steph up and get mm-hmm. him within the spots to be able to get his shot off on a consistent basis. That's just been the whole offense for them the entire year is their two-man game being able to carry them in a way that works. 
in Curry's favor and makes Draymond look like an offensive liability, despite the fact that he's the primary facilitator for the team. Mm -hmm. I mean, the big thing with Andrew Wiggins is this, the fact, and he showed it in this game. He got hot real, real early and the cool down was just, I mean, it was, you know, from heaven back down to earth. It was one of those things where he just like could not, nobody was expecting him to go for 40 after dropping 21, you know, through really the first, like, I guess three quarters really is kind of where you really felt his presence. But I mean, interesting enough and just like interesting X factor name here. I kind of just feel like I need to see more Jordan Poole. And I know that sounds kind of silly, but he's like the only other person that I see from the guard spot that really is able to kind of create his own shot. And he's a gunslinger. So he's one of those guys that I feel like is going to try to get up there in terms of really trying to get into this combative shootout. And I'm just going to be honest, when it comes to the Grizzlies, they're not playing. Like, we saw what took place with them against the Trailblazers last year in a similar circumstance like this. It's not going to be a game that they just lay down because John Morant has said on Twitter that Steph Curry's the MVP. That's not, If anything, that's honestly just going to make him want to go out there and be even more productive. Mm-hmm. Ryan, we you, you mentioned this to me when we talked off camera. Jaron Jackson Jr. was a beast in that San Antonio game. I don't I don't get me wrong. I think Draymond Green is going to be a presence there. But with with Jaron Jackson's uh, Jaron Jackson Jr.'s ability to stress the floor and then have Valanciunas inside, you got to pick because if it's Valanciunas versus Kevon Looney, Shaq called him barbecue chicken. And that's just simply (laughs) what it is. So I think that they're in a bigger I think they're in a bigger what than they think. It's a lot of people that's just penciling Golden State in. I think that they're going to win the game, but I think that it is very dangerous to just sit there and just slide them into that spot with the expectation that they're going to be taking on Utah this weekend. Like, I I just really think people need to be careful. Real quick, though, I'll start with Lauren, who wins tonight's game. Oh, God, that is so tough because I I don't – I'm with Jalen. You can't just, like, pencil them in, and I don't want to bet against Steph, but – I'm going to go with Memphis. I like Memphis. I like what I like about Memphis is the depth. If you look Mm -hmm. at their second unit, it doesn't in terms of production, they do not take a step back uh, too much of a step back than what the starting unit does. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see how Draymond and Kevon Looney match up against someone like Jaron Jackson Jr. And Jonas Valanciunas. This could be another 20 and 20 night for Jonas Valanciunas. I, I think that they're tough. I I also think that Dylan Brooks, like you're going to need him to, to put put up points and that's not a given. So that could be where something goes south. But uh, I just I really like their depth. And so I want to push for Memphis. I feel like odds are it will be Golden State, but I believe in Memphis. I believe in what they've got going. I like the young group. The lack of experience is another thing, but I really, really like what I've seen from Taylor Jenkins this year and, and that group as a whole. I like Tyus Jones coming off the bench. I mean, they're Desmond Bain. It kills me that the Mavs didn't get him, but I really, really love that group. And so I'm going to be pushing for them to win it because I think it'll be interesting, but you can't really bet against Steph, especially not this season. Yeah, man. As the Memphis fan on the pod, bro, it hurts my heart. I'm just saying at the same time, like, look, for him to lose two times in the same quote unquote postseason. I don't know, man, that's tough to put him in, put him in the chamber like that. But like you like you said, I'm rooting for Memphis. But, you know, God, it's going to be a good game, though, for sure. I agree. Steph versus Jaw is going to be it's going to be an insane matchup considering, I mean, both these players had the caliber to put up 30 points tonight each. So 
I think that there's a chance that Steph goes off. I think there's a chance that Ja goes off. I mean, this game might be closer than we think, honestly. Moving on now to our first round predictions. And the first matchup we're going to talk about, the first seed Sixers and the eighth seed Wizards. Lauren, I'll start with you with the Philadelphia 76ers. How much of an effect will Ben Simmons have in this series? Um, I mean, I think it'll have a significant effect. I, in my opinion, when the, Philadelphia, I mean, their success has been insane. And yeah, a lot of that goes to Joel Embiid and even Tobias Harris, who's been a huge, huge piece for them. But I think Ben Simmons is, is, is also a big part of that. So I think he's going to have a significant impact, especially with Russ talking his talk. And he they're going to need somebody to try and keep up with him. And that's going to be Ben Simmons. And so I think Ben is going to have a, I mean, a tall, a tall order to a big assignment uh, with Russell Westbrook in the year that he's having. But um, yeah, I, I'm not worried about Philly in that series. I'll just put it that way. I feel like this is a good transition to Jalen, the diehard Wizards fan over there. I mean, you've had your ups and downs with this team. You know, you've wanted <laughs> the coach fired. You know, Boy, have I? <laughs> I mean, the the Russ trade. You know, we both thought differently about it at first, and then I agree with you, and then you agree with me. It was it was a whole ordeal. But ESPN said there was a 0.6 chance on April sixth that this team made the playoffs. The fact that they're an eight seed is not only a surprise, but I mean. It wasn't even thought of a couple of months ago. So does Bradley Beal's injury affect how the Wizards perform in this series? I mean, of course, right? I mean, there's no way to like skid past that. Russell Westbrook is not a, a net positive player when he's by himself. That's one of those things that we've already been able to identify with him leading a team in Oklahoma City. It was one of those things where as soon as Kevin Durant left, he couldn't break out of the first round. And unfortunately, I think that trend is going to stick. Um, I'm for the violence, though, best believe. I mean, him <laughs> versus Joel Embiid is going to be a problem for an entire, at least, I'm going to say at bare minimum five games because I think the Wizards are going to get at least one off of them. But I I'm, I got to be honest, and the minute you asked the question about Ben Simmons, I was like, man, that's so interesting because I think that literally this is one of the mismatched series of the entire first round because you're talking about having one of the best perimeter defensive teams against a team that relies very heavily on their perimeter offensive creation I'm talking about ben, ben Simmons Tobias Harris has been serviceable in the defensive end Danny Green has been serviceable in the defensive end Matisse Thibel arguably arguably might even be one of their better one-on-one defenders across their team he's not even talked about as much but I think in this series he's going to play a lot of a factor and then Joel Embiid inside is another guy who is going to be able to handle a lot internally considering the fact that the Wizards don't really have a post presence like that. Like, don't get me wrong. Daniel Gafford, love him. Used to be a bull. Love him. But at the same time, if it's him versus Joel Embiid, we kind of know where, where everybody stands in that circumstance. And outside of Daniel Gafford, it's not a lot of great center depth there. It's not a lot of great big man depth for the Wizards in general. So for a team that's so good um, in terms of perimeter defense, along with having that back-end guy and Embiid in the paint, it's the perfect series built against the Wizards, right? So then you factor in Bradley Beal's uh, injury. It's not, I don't think it's going to render him ineffective. That's right. I mean, that's silly. But I think it's going to be one of those things that does end up coming into effect. And the fact that they're already at a detriment, considering how Philly is built, I think that about opens and shuts that door really, like, really quick. Uh, the injury does not help. I think there are a lot of series in the playoffs where we're going to say, get your popcorn ready, because this is one of them for sure, especially Mm -hmm. with uh, with Russ versus Embiid. I just want to get a quick take from both of you guys. So who wins this series? I'll start with Lauren. 
Uh, I think Philly wins it in five. I, I'm with Jalen. I think the Wizards will will at least get one of them. I don't think it'll it'll be a sweep, but yeah, I'd say gentlemen sweep and and we'll move on. Jalen, same thing. Yeah, I think the five games, bro. I like. I just don't see the Wizards not getting at least a game off. But I mean, the 76ers are just better, bro. I just, I mean, they're just a better team, and they're just they're built for the Wizards. I think. I think the Wizards will definitely get one game, but there are going to be games where. The series might be closer than we think. I think it's going to be a hard-fought series. Moving on now to the two-seeded Nets versus the seven-seed Celtics. Lauren, I want to start with you. With the trio of KD, Kyrie, and James Harden playing less than 10 games this season, mm-hmm. does this hurt their chances of winning the series at all, or is that not even a factor? Uh, it's definitely a factor, just not in this series. I don't think Boston is... I mean, Kemba was having a great stretch or was having a good stretch. And I mean, Tatum is Tatum. Like, you know what you're getting with Boston. The problem is they don't have enough to take down Brooklyn. It's just not going to happen. There's too much talent there. I do think I'm with you. The less than 10 games, the continuity, there are problems that uh, Brooklyn has that they're going to have to overcome or that could be potentially problematic. I'm not going to call them problems, but you know what I mean? So um, it's something that they're going to have to, to prepare for, but against Boston, I don't, I'm not worried about it for them. And I don't think they're very worried about it either. Jalen, I mean, flipping the script, looking at the Celtics, we talked to Ian a couple of days ago about the idea that his Celtics might have a chance against the Brooklyn Nets. He wasn't too positive about it. (laughs) But the other thing that we have to factor in with the Celtics, I mean, not only injuries, not only the lack of bench depth, which they kind of solved at the deadline by getting Evan Fournier. But I mean, the loss of Jalen Brown is huge considering that he was a factor when Jalen, when uh, Jason Tatum was out early on in the season. So how do you think the Celtics fare without Jalen Brown in this series? I mean, Ryan, it's like very simple in a game of NBA street, they're down a player. That's pretty much the way this thing is lined up. Like, They've got their three. We've seen Brooklyn's three the entire year. Yes, they didn't play together for a very long stretch, but we've seen them in different combinations. And at the end of the day, when this whole thing first started, we had our concerns about James Harden next to Kyrie Irving. They nipped that in the bud. We had we we saw the idea of Kevin Durant next to James Harden once again. That worked out. We saw Kevin Durant next to Kyrie Irving. That worked out. The trio of them, I don't think is going to be as confusing as people want to make it seem. I think that also the idea of turning this into rocket science is people's way of trying to find a, a chink in Brooklyn's armor that I don't think is present. I think in this series in particular, I think we're going to see a lot of Marcus Smart defensively. I think Jason Tatum is going to have to be for sure a two-way player in this series because dropping 50 on one end is going to be cute when two other guys combine for 60. Like, And then you still have another guy you have to worry (laughs) about. I mean, it's one of those things where I think that the Jalen Brown injury just kind of slants the balance of power even further in Brooklyn's favor because Mm -hmm. in an offensive shootout series Boston's not even geared up for it like at least if we look down the line right if we look at a team like the Miami Heat in terms of their run last year it wasn't based off defense they got hot offensively Goran Dragic was averaging 20 plus points a game Tyler Hero had snapped Jimmy Butler was a clutch player closer Bam Adebayo was a guy who looked like a point forward at times they were an offensive oriented team and they were able to win based off that you look at the bucks team i don't look 
you can switch everything all you want to, but at the end of the day, they're going to have to be able to hang. I, that's a team that I trust a little, a lot more defensively than I do maybe the Heat or the Celtics. But at the end of the day, I think it's going to be all about hanging. I give the Bucks the best chance out of any of these teams, maybe the 76ers too, but like the Bucks, the best chance out of any of these teams to be able to hang with the Nets in the Eastern Conference. The Celtics are just out-talented right now. I mean – we're so focused on the top three, and the reality is that the Nets bench is just better than Boston's. So if the talent gap, right, is that that significant, going down even to Brooklyn's bench, and they're top heavy, but even their bench is significantly better than Boston's, you're, I mean, they're in a situation where, like, there's nothing you can do with that. And losing Jalen Brown just honestly just makes the whole thing look worse. I don't want to hype up Brooklyn already. I've already hyped Brooklyn up enough, but like the fact you get Europe's best player essentially in Mike James to add to your already loaded bench with Nick Claxton and then Landry Shamet as well. This may low key be one of the loaded teams in the NBA, but same thing with the last series. Lauren, I'll start with you. Who wins? Oh, uh, Brooklyn. It's uh, like for all the reasons Jalen said from top to bottom, the roster is just better. So I, I'd say I don't even think it'll go. Oh, God, I don't even think it'll go to five. I really don't. I just that's too much talent to even score more points. I mean, I don't know. I would be shocked if it went to five. I just don't have the faith in, in Boston this year. Jalen, I think you, you kind of know where we're going with this. So is it a gentleman's sweep? Is it a sweep? Does Brooklyn win all four games? The reason why I'm going to give Boston a game is because of the fact that we've seen who Brooklyn can be, right? At the end of the day, from a from an internal standpoint, from a defensive standpoint, they want to get in shootouts. That means they're going to get a lot of shot up, shots up, which means they also have the opportunity to miss a lot. They've blown a lot of games by simply just being too offensively potent. Never thought you'd ever say that in your life before, but it's just one of those things that sometimes – can counteract against them because they're so soft in the middle, because they're so soft inside, and they're not a great perimeter defensive team. So I think, don't get me wrong, I think that at the end of the day, I think Brooklyn handles business, but I got to give the Celtics a game because I just don't think that Brooklyn's going to play four straight games of going 15 of 25 from three. Like, Mm -hmm. I could be completely wrong. I could be completely wrong. But at the same time, you know, I have to give Boston a little bit of credit in terms of being able to deter Brooklyn from at least going off like that. I think Gelman's sweep is the way to go. The mm-hmm. Celtics bench depth, I've been saying this all season. They True. needed to improve on it. And I think, you know, you got Fournier, which is a huge pickup, especially to add to that depth. But I mean, when you're looking at a bench that has Europe's top player, a guy from Georgia with a lot of upside, and a guy from the Clippers that just kept shooting threes coming off the bench as an offensive spark plug for that team, I just think they're outmatched. Moving on to our next Eastern Conference series, the third-seeded Bucks taking on the sixth-seeded Miami Heat. Lauren, I'll start with you on this one. How much pressure is on the Bucks to get the revenge on the Heat? A lot. I mean, there is a lot. And there's, there's always going to be the pressure on Giannis of, okay, yeah, you just signed that contract. So, like, okay, you got to go get it done. You've got the pieces now. You've got it all. You got your holiday. Like, there's nothing more you need. You got, you got to go get it done. So there's definitely pressure. Um, but I still like Milwaukee over Miami. Uh, I, I do think it's going to be interesting. I think Milwaukee's got depth. I think they getting Drew Holiday was huge. He has been huge for them. Uh, and Miami, I mean, you don't have Depot. And 
I mean, getting they got Trevor Reza, who's actually been pretty functional for them. But I just I don't really I don't I couldn't pick them over Milwaukee. I think it's going to be a very scrappy series. I think it's going to go to six or maybe seven. But I do think it's it's not going to be an easy one for Milwaukee. But I would I would take Milwaukee. I think continuity. I mean, Miami has continuity. I mean, they made it to the finals last year, but I just think Milwaukee is is ready you know, it's hard even saying that because I also always say, Milwaukee, I need you to prove it to me in the playoffs, but I, I just think they're more equipped this year. Uh, and I, it's almost one of those things where I'm like, if like you're going to get out of the first round, but how far can you really take it? Given what you've got going, it should be pretty hard to not take it far. And I'll be pretty disappointed if they don't make it to, I'd, I'd even say the Eastern Conference Finals, but that's tough because you got Philly and Brooklyn. So, I mean, it's it's not given, that's for sure. But Milwaukee really needs to put it together. There's a lot of pressure. When we're looking at the series, I mean, I think the matchup automatically goes to Giannis versus Bam. And Jalen, I just want to ask, like, if, if we're just looking at a one-on-one perspective from the series between Bam and Giannis, who do you favor? I mean, I favor Giannis, I mean, easily, not easily, because I don't want to be disrespectful, but it's one of those things from a two-way perspective that I just see because they run so much through Giannis offensively, there's already an understanding that he's going to be impactful on that side of the floor. And then defensively, I feel like he can obviously hang his hang his hat on that side of the ball to the point where he's going to be effective. To kind of bounce off of something that Lauren said, she feels as though Milwaukee is more equipped this year to take on the Heat. I would also say that the Heat are not the same team they were last year. Tyler True. Hero is not the same guy at all. I do not think that what Goran Dragic did last year is duplicable. No offense to the Dragon, but I just think that what he did last year was extremely unprecedented. Like summoned up out of the depths of himself to kind of give him one good last stretch. He was also playing for an extension. So there's that as well. They're missing a guy in Jay Crowder who was very pivotal in that series from a defensive standpoint as well. I think that Trevor Ariza is giving them good minutes, but is he Drake? Is he Jay Crowder defensively? I don't think so. At least not in this juncture, uh, not at this uh, juncture of his career. So, I mean, I got to agree. I think Milwaukee is in a situation where I think that for once, I feel confident about confident about genuinely saying that Giannis is the best player in the series. And typically that's supposed to be the difference between being able to win a series. I think on top of that, the fact that Drew Holiday is a significant upgrade, not only from Eric Bledsoe, but George Hill as well. The fact that you make up two players in one transaction, first of all, that just shows you how elite and underrated a guy in Drew Holiday is. But I think also the impact that he's going to have in a series like this as a guy who can create his own shot, facilitate for others, is going to definitely be able to lock up on defense, something that Bledsoe and Hill could not do, or at least not effective on a consistent basis. We know who Milton is. We know that Brooke, Brooke Lopez can get jiggy from outside as a three-point shooter. Again, I, I mean, we're just going based on what Lauren said and kind of just building upon it. They're built for this, I think, for this run. Again, how far they go gets tricky once you look at the 76ers and the Nets, but they're built for this run, and – I don't see the Heat being the team that gets in their way. So who you guys have winning the series? I got Milwaukee in six. I, I think Miami can get two. I, I would be surprised if it got to seven. 
Yeah, I think six is probably the safe move. Se- seven is tricky because of the fact that I think that it's going to come down, come down to Jimmy Butler's ability to close. But last year's series was so weird. If you guys remember, there was that one game that closed out with like the Jimmy Butler foul that ended with two foul shots to end or two or three oh, foul yeah. shots to end the game. Mm-hmm. So like even that series, like there was a lot of momentum shifting stuff. Giannis had went down. The series was kind of already out of hand. But then Milwaukee decided they wanted to win a game off of like just sheer willpower, I guess. So last year was very tricky in a lot of different ways. I think that this is one of those series where I think they'll really lock up. I mean, they've had what happened to them against the Raptors where they were up in the series and blew it over. Now you have this kind of series with the Miami Heat where they've completely taken off guard. I think there's no, there's nothing left in between now. You just got to be ready. So I think they will be. I think you made an interesting point when you were talking about the Miami Heat and how Trevor Ariza wasn't the same defender that Jake Crowder was. I don't think Trevor Reese is the same offensive player that Jay Crowder is too, because Jay Crowder was a guy that could give you 10, 15 easily as a consistent three point shooter. Now he's doing that for a Phoenix team. That's the second seed and they're about to play the Lakers. Another matchup we're going to talk about later. I think the bucks are going to win in seven, but this is a series I could be very wrong about and the heat could upset the bucks. So does Giannis actually make it past the heat this time? I mean, We'll kind of see with that. I think the supporting cash for the Bucks has to do a lot in this series to hold off Jimmy Butler because we know Jimmy Butler is going to have a 40, 50 point game in this series. It just, <laughs> it's just a matter of like what game. But talking about the last Eastern Conference series, the New York Knicks versus the Atlanta Hawks. And these are two teams that have not made the playoffs in a long time. So, Lauren, I'll start with you. The Knicks haven't made the playoffs since 2013. What do they need to do to win the series? They need to maintain their composure. Uh, they're a young team. Some of these guys have experience. You got someone like D Rose, Tibbs. Is, I mean, you've got good or pieces that are in your favor, maybe. Maybe not in your favor, but things that are good for you. But you've got a lot of young guys. And those guys need to make sure that they're doing the right things, minimizing their errors. Uh, and not trying to do too much. You're you finished the fourth in the fourth spot. You had a good season. You exceeded expectations, but you can't say, okay, we're in the playoffs now. We're in the Madison Square Garden where we've got all this, all these fans here, and just put on a show and like lose sight of like you've got to stay focused. And that's hard to do with young teams. I mean, even last year with like the Mavericks, there were a couple of times when it was like, oh my God, this this team is so young, like they need to control what they can control. And so sometimes that's what happens. The reason there are things about Atlanta that they've got guys like Tony Snell, Clint Capella, they've got guys that have been in the playoff atmosphere. I mean, Lou Williams was an addition that's going to give you that experience. And so, and Nate McMillan, like I just, I mean, the coaching, that's the whole other conversation, but uh the Knicks need to maintain their composure because they can, I mean, they play tough and Julius Randle's having a crazy year, but if they get loose or start making a bunch of unforced errors or don't do the little things, I think uh, what Nate McMillan, what Nate McMillan is doing with the Hawks could, uh, I mean, that could be tough for them. And I think it's even more interesting considering that for a lot of these players on the New York team, they're making the playoffs for the first time in their careers. I mean, Julius Randle, he's been in the league for what, seven years, eight years now. I mean, he's up for MVP this year, or he was in the MVP conversation. This is his first time in the playoffs. RJ Barrett, we're going to see what kind of player he is in the playoffs, considering that, you know, he's the third pick of the 2019 NBA draft. 
I mean, there's other supporting casts like Emmanuel Quickly. He's been a guy who's been maybe the biggest surprise outside of Peyton Pritchard in terms of his scoring production. I'm a little shocked he's not up for rookie of the year, but he's going to be a factor in this series as well. Moving to Jalen's team, the Atlanta Hawks, first time in the playoffs since 2016. They added a lot of key players in the offseason, and then you factor in the development of Trey Young and then the new coach in Nate McMillan, who, I'll be honest, has a history of not making it past the first round of the playoffs. Jalen, what do you think the Hawks need to do to win the series? I mean, you know, I hate to steal Lauren's point, but I think it works both ways. I mean, you know, because the, the main point that I would give to both teams is do what brought you to the dance, right? I think the biggest thing with New York is you're one of the top five defenses in the league. You played through Julius Randle as a point forward. You allowed a guy like a guy like R.J. Barrett to develop as a slow facilitator that can get his own shot. You didn't try to force D. Rose into turning the clock back to 2011. You let him be do his thing coming off the bench next to a guy like Emmanuel quickly and focus on just being able to hold opponents within your range. I think in conjunction to that, Atlanta, they're trying to get jiggy the entire night. This is not a defensive team by any stretch. Clint Cabela is that guy inside, don't get me wrong. But outside of that, they're trying to go get buckets all night. Trey Young has been a guy who's been probably disrespected a little bit in terms of the uh, the the lack of discussion around him so far this season for things like All-Star and All-NBA with the fact that, you know, the whole drawing fouls thing has kind of took over the internet. And that's one of those things that's made people not really a big fan of him. But at the end of the day, he's still a high-volume, productive scorer and facilitator. The rest of this team has really started to slowly come on pretty good. Um, I think Bogdanovich, Danilo Gallinari, these are guys who are going to play big minutes and going to have to be productive on a regular basis. I think the biggest thing for them, right, is just the fact that if you're going to be this shootout team, go for it. I mean, I think that the Hawks have to stay true to themselves. I think you have to live and die by the circumstances of what, how they play now. Now, I think Nate McMillan has done something for the Hawks that I think past coaching in general has not been able to do, and that's rein things in and Trey Young in terms of slowing the game down. This is a team that was running up and down the last two years, and I think that it's been one of those things that's kind of been a detriment because they played too fast for their talent. Still a young team, right? So it's one of those things where I think they were playing a little bit too up-tempo. I think this team has been able to slow down and really get a better understanding of how to play half-court basketball, something that is going to be really important in a series like this, where I don't think the Knicks are going to let them get out and run. Um, now they're going to be missing a guy in Cam Reddish in this series. And that hurts my heart. Cause I think there's a, a good chance for him to really kind of rise and shine to the occasion. But at the end of the day, it's Trey Young or bust. I think Clint Capella is going to be huge in this series as an inside presence, but it's Trey Young or bust. I think they ride with the guy. And I mean, that's going to be important. But like I said before, for both teams, you got to do what brought you to the dance. There's two young teams that's never been here before. You can't start acting different because that's how you blow it. I mean, when we're thinking about coaching too, like that's a huge aspect. Given who was the coach a year ago for the Knicks, it was David Fisdale. Now it's Tom Thibodeau, a guy who's very well-versed in defense. He's taken this team to new heights. And then earlier in the season, Lloyd Pierce was the head coach, and we didn't think this team had a chance of making the playoffs, even though Jalen and I, before the season, said this was the fourth best team in the East, regardless of who's on it and like how far they go making the playoffs. But now with Nate McMillan, this is a true playoff team. It's just a matter of if they get to the if they make it past the first round. Lauren, who wins the series? 
It is going to be close. I, I, I do think it's going to be close because, I mean, Jalen mentioned the Knicks defense and the, the, the style that they play with. So that's tough. But I do think the Hawks are going to, to, to find a way to overcome this. I, I like what Nate McMillan is doing with this team. So I'm going to take the Hawks in seven. Jalen, what do you think? You know, I got to roll with my guys, bro. At the end of the day, I mean, I'm going to take them in seven as well because these teams these teams line up really well in a way that between the lack of experience between the two and the fact that they both have something to prove, I think that it's going to be one of those things that makes it really nip and tuck. I think obviously we know the two guys that get spotlighted the most are going to be Julius Randle and Trey Young. But I think the two guys that got to keep in mind for both teams in terms of this series overall is – Bogdanovich, the big money man who they made the move for as another perimeter player for them that's going to be taking the ball out of Trey Young's hands a lot of times. Outside of Clint Capella being the pick and roll partner, Bogey has been playing relatively well as of late. And then for the Knicks, dude, I think at the end of the day, the only dude on that team that can keep this team afloat, and it's going to sound silly, but I think Derrick Rose is somebody that's going to be important. I don't think because of the production on the floor, but I think simply about the ability to keep this team reined in like Lauren was talking about earlier because that's the closest thing to it over there. That 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 Taj Gibson, uh, Derrick Rose grouping, those kind of guys like that, I, I understand that from a production standpoint, we're not expecting a ton out of them, maybe D-Rose to a certain extent. But at the end of the day, from a playoff experience standpoint, I think those are guys, those guys are going to be considered the rock for this team to keep them kind of grounded along with Coach Tibbs, you know, obviously keeping things held down. Jalen, I think if you know our history here on the Hootal Podcast, you may or may not know who I'm going with here. Closet Knicks fan. Yes, I have an Allen Houston jersey in my closet somewhere. Anyway, nice. Nice. so I honestly have to go with the New York Knicks. And the X factor in this series is going to be Derrick Rose. I think he might have a Game 3 2015 moment where he ends up making a game-winning three at some point. I think the one thing that might hold the Hawks back – they lost Rondo in that trade deadline. And I think losing playoff Rondo to a team in the Clippers that actually kind of need him more. I think that might be the one of the, one of the small reasons why they lose this series, but moving on now to the Western conference, I just want to start with the jazz and the warriors or the Grizzlies, because of course that game is tonight. It's the last playing game. Lauren, I'll start with you. The jazz were one of the best three point shooting teams in the league. Is this team for real? Mm. that's a great way to that's a great way to phrase so hard because i have had so many conversations with where i've said do not discount the jazz do not think that they're not for real because what they're doing like their win percentage their coaching i mean the numbers the the team defensive rating the offensive rating the net rate like it's crazy what they're doing but the playoffs are different and they're they're tough they're gonna be they have depth. They've got a lot going for them. I love Quinn Snyder, but I I don't think there are a number of teams that I, I would pick over the Jazz to come out of the West. That being said, in the first round, they are the first seed. I think that they'll take care of business, uh, whether it's against the Warriors. I mean, Steph, like I, I know I just said don't bet against Steph, but there's just too much depth and too many, too much going on uh, in Utah. So I would pick, I would pick Utah over, uh, over Golden State and then with Memphis. I just don't think Memphis has the experience yet. Um, and I think Utah's depth will outweigh Memphis's depth. So um, either way, I think Utah's coming out of that series. But 
are they for real? I think they're going to say they go up against the Lakers or anyone. Maybe they'll give them a tough series. Maybe they'll make them work for it. Do I think they'll beat the Lakers? Do I think they'll beat the Clippers? No. And I think it's interesting just because the next question that I posed to Jalen is about either the Grizzlies or the Warriors, because I mean, if we flash back 2007, the Golden State Warriors were one of the best teams as an eight seed and they upset the Dallas Mavericks that year. It could be a repeat this year if the Warriors are able to win tonight. But then there's a Memphis team where fully healthy. They're one of the most dangerous teams right now, especially getting Triple J back. And then John Moran playing the way he's been playing. Dylan Brooks, another solid two guard for them. Jalen, who poses the biggest threat to Utah? I think, man, this is the this is the thing about that whole Grizzlies bench thing that uh I I I love so much. But at the same time, I think that I think the Warriors are that pose they pose the biggest threat because they'll have the best player in the series. I think, regardless of the circumstance. I think one of the things that we kind of are sweeping under the rug when we talk about Utah is uh Donovan Mitchell hasn't touched the court in a five on five setting in six weeks. Besides before like earlier this week. I think that's not something that you can just casually throw under the rug in terms of talking about throwing him back into playoff action as his reintroduction to five-on-five basketball against a team that is going to be scrappy, regardless of the fact that they don't relatively have, like, crazy defensive guys out there. Andrew Wiggins has been a solid net net defender most of the year. Draymond Green has been very good at being a switchable big his entire career, and he displayed for at least – I'd say at least 75% of that game against the Lakers that he is arguably a top three defensive player of the year candidate on a, on any given, you know, in any given game in any given year. So I think when you look at the circumstances, I think that the Warriors pose the biggest threat because of them having the best player in the series. I also just think that the jazz are in a really weird spot with the fact that from a continuity standpoint, they're slowly kind of creeping back into that little area they were in last year. So last year, if everybody doesn't remember, Mike Conley missed a couple of games during that time frame, and they kind of suffered for it against the Nuggets. Um, but underneath all of that, everybody was blaming the lack of having a guy in Bogdanovich on the floor, a guy who's obviously, you know, was the 20-point-per-game scorer, lost him prior to the playoffs. And it ended up being a significant hit. I think losing your best player for that kind of time and then having to watch him reacclimate himself is worse than either one of those things that happened last season. So I think that the Warriors pose the biggest threat. While I still pick the Jazz, yes, because I think the depth talent-wise that they have outweighs anything else that the Warriors have once you get past stuff. But I think this, the, the Steph-led Warriors team is a lot scarier than a young Grizzlies team that is facing that fire for the first time. So on that note, because you both have said the consensus is that the Jazz win this one, how many games do you give their opponent depending on who it would be? Lauren, I'll start with you. Mm, man, that's tough. I... God, that's I, I with Memphis. I give Memphis one game with Golden State. I'm between one and two games. I'd say maybe two just because the Donovan Mitchell factor is huge and Steph really is that good. So I'd give Golden State two. Jalen, same question. 
I think I would give both teams two. Maybe that's just my my Memphis bias, but at the same time, I think that their depth plays such a factor in terms of how they play. I just also think that John Morant hasn't got to play under the bright lights yet. And look, if anything about Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray's matchup last season told us anything about what can happen once playoff lights are turned on, if there's somebody yeah. I trust to maybe step into that fray with a guy like Jamal Murray not being able to do it himself this postseason – it probably would be jaw, honestly. So I think that would be one of those things where I think John Morant and the Memphis Grizzlies would be able to get off at least a game, if not two, considering the circumstances. Because I think from a from a guard-to-guard standpoint, I think Memphis actually lines up against the Jazz really well. And Triple J versus Rudy Gobert, everybody loves to joke about how you if you get Rudy out on the perimeter, he ain't no good. Well, guess who loves to shoot threes? <laughs> Triple J loves to hang out there. And if, if Valanchunas is down there by himself or he's dealing with a guy like Derek Favors all night or Bogdanovich for most of the time, I mean, you know, that opens the floodgates up for the Grizzlies to actually be a little scary. So I, I got to give both teams two games because I think they both would, I think they both would be scary in their own way against a Utah team that's iffy. That's fair. I'm going to give Memphis two games. I'm going to give Golden State three I think especially with Golden State having Steph healthy, I think that's a huge, huge factor considering how effective he's been throughout the season for the Golden State Warriors. I just think, man, Utah has just a lot of firepower where I think it's just going to be too much for either team. But moving on to the next series with the second-seeded Suns and the seventh-seeded Lakers, Lauren, I'll start with you with the Phoenix Suns. Do you think the Suns' lack of playoff experience will hurt them against the Lakers? Because... We talked about the Knicks and the Hawks not making the playoffs in their respective times. The Suns have not been to the playoffs in a very long time. Yeah, you know, it, it's tough. I, personally, I don't think that that's going to be their problem. Chris Paul is not going to stand for any sort of uh, repeated mistakes or, I mean, his standards are going to be high. Uh, Jalen mentioned uh, Jay Crowder now being over there. Torrey Craig was also another underrated pickup for them who has playoff experience with Milwaukee. Uh, I have mentioned, and I will stand by this, I don't I don't want this to come off as disrespectful, but I do not have a whole lot of faith in DeAndre Ayton's defensive basketball IQ. I just don't really think it's – I think it could get there over time. I think it's too early in his career for the expectation to be – okay, go match up against Anthony Davis. Or if Anthony Davis is in the paint, you got to lock down Anthony. I, it's not going to happen. So um, I don't think that that's going to be their potential downfall or their biggest threat or problem uh, in uh, the op- or, um, the experience, I mean. But I do think the Lakers' playoff experience will help them that much more, if that makes sense. Uh, I, I just, with Phoenix, I don't know. It's it's tough, but I, I like their group. I I you just can't bet against the Lakers. That's kind of where I'm at with this. Uh, the Lakers are, they're in an interesting spot. Just, I mean, they're, they're, they've got too many things going on. It's like, what, what is happening? Who is this team right now? Who is this team right now? And Phoenix is no joke. Book is ready for his moment. So they got a lot of switchable defenders. I mean, those six, six, or like six, eight, six, nine guys who can all switch and guard out on the perimeter. That's a tough team, but I just, I can't bet against LeBron. And I can't bet against the Lakers as a whole. It's very hard to bet against LeBron, but I, I also think Devin Booker is due for a couple of 30, 40 point games in the playoffs. And especially if we saw what he did in that bubble run with a Phoenix team that didn't have Chris Paul, I'm scared for what's about to happen to the Lakers, <laughs> especially considering like where the Lakers are at right now, especially with LeBron also not even a hundred percent too. 
And Jalen, here's the other question that I was going to ask you. We talked about Andre Drummond as a move where we didn't know how he was going to fill on this team. And I said that this was more of a panic move considering that <laughs> it was basically a fear of like Brooklyn, Miami, or Charlotte getting him first. So Jalen, this is, this is an interesting one, but where do you think Andre Drummond fits into the Lakers plans in the playoffs? Does he get a lot of playing time? Is he going to fit well with Anthony Davis on the floor in the playoffs? He's not going to play. <laughs> I'm just going to be like as brutally honest as I possibly can. He's, he's not going to play. And I, I'm, and I mean that like, there's no way to pose that respectfully because obviously at the end of the day, if you're catching DMPs in the playoffs when you got picked up at the at the you know at that kind of time frame where we're talking about getting picked up off the scrap heap to avoid other playoff caliber teams from getting you in the buyout market, obviously again desperation clicks in. You start to wonder whether or not he's somebody that they want to put in a regular rotation. But you've seen what you've seen. At the end of the day, Frank Vogel had to muscle up and make decisions mid-game against Golden State in a in a game that, first of all, in it when we're talking about Golden State, Golden State is three-fourths of the team that the Suns are, and that has more to do with Steph Curry's individual talent than it has to do with really their overall group, right? So against the Suns, you don't have time to flirt around with these lineups where you're putting out guys who you're afraid are going to be net negatives because you've already seen it. Now, the thing with Andre Drummond, and I think that people just, or that I think Frank Vogel and maybe just Anthony Davis in general, because I understand that he has his own trepidations with playing the five, but like what, what everybody needs to realize is that Anthony Davis at, at the five is single-handedly, whoever the rest of the four are, as long as Anthony Davis plays the five and LeBron James is on the floor, they pretty much have the best lineup that the Lakers could come up with. So circumstantially, if Anthony Davis is at the five, Andre Drummond will not play. It's just, that's the correlation between the two. You're not going to play him as some big four because he doesn't provide anything that that's necessary at the four position, nor anything that you would want as just a big rebounder at the four is completely unnecessary. And other than that, there's no other real lineup that I look at where I would like Andre Drummond on the floor besides to spell AD. So with that being the case, I really just don't really see him getting on the floor, especially if you know that the person who can spell AD that you might trust more in a playoff series is probably Marcus Gasol. Mm-hmm. So yep. that's why I don't think he's going to play. There's also like the opposite of that argument, which is, does Marcus all even play because he's gotten a lot of DMPs throughout the season, but statistically he's a better net defender than Andre Drummond is. So I feel like it's a very Lakers move that they would DMP Gasol, but not DMP Drummond. That's going to be the very interesting factor right there. Does Marcus all play in this playoff series against the Suns? Lauren, who wins the series? I gotta, I gotta give it to the Lakers. Um, this I like this Phoenix team this year. They've been so fun, but I mean, we're talking about playoff LeBron here. Uh, Lakers, any consistency issues that they might have, health issues that they might have, we're talking about playoff LeBron. So I'm going to give it to the Lakers in seven. I do think this will go to seven. This is going to be a tough series. Jalen, do you agree? Hey, man, I got to stick to my pick that I made on Ian's podcast, bro. I, I love to try to beat a Laker hater here, but like – 
at the end of the day. I think it's just going to go the distance. And that big game is where we got to give it up to LeBron James. And that's just going to be where he closes things off. I think it goes 7-2 because it, the Suns are too nice to kind of come this far and then get swept unprecedentedly. Right. So, And I don't see this being a short series by any means. So I definitely see it going 7 they just have the best player on the they they have the best player on the floor and they might arguably have the second best player on the floor as well. So this is gonna be another one where I disagree with you guys. I think the Suns win this in seven. I nice. I have full faith in the Suns that they can be able to do this, especially with the run that Devin Booker went on. The Chris Paul effect is real, even though yes, playoff history has been a bit sketchy. He's been hurt a couple times in the playoffs, notably with the Rockets in game seven when they really needed him. I think the talent is there. I think Jay Crowder is a kind of a huge acquisition if we think about it, considering what he did with Miami and how effective he's been with Phoenix. LeBron not being 100% is an issue. It's not going to be the biggest issue. I think their big issue is Drummond and where he fits. Does Marcus all get a DMP? Does Anthony Davis gel well with Andre Drummond because they're playing together more? I have more questions about the Lakers than I do with the Suns. Moving on now to the next playoff series, the third-seeded Denver Nuggets taking on the sixth-seeded Trailblazers. Lauren, I'll start with you. With the loss of Jamal Murray, who is a guard on the Denver Nuggets that you expect to fill the role of Jamal Murray in the playoffs? God, that's a hard question because I don't think it's going to be a guard. I don't think it's going to be a guard that you're going to need to fill that production. Um. But and they run their offense through through Jokic, so I, I just it's tough because I look at where's that production going to come from, especially if you're going against Portland. Um, but getting Aaron Gordon was huge. Getting Aaron Gordon was was really really huge, especially considering what has happened since then. Uh, so I do think you're going to need Michael Porter Jr. to step up and give you the production that you some of the production you would have needed to come from uh, Jamal Murray. Uh, they, I mean, the Nuggets, the thing about the Nuggets is that they didn't miss a step when Jamal and Murray went down that there were a lot of questions there. What's going to happen? Are they going to uh, not necessarily go all the way down to the play in game, but are they going to uh, go maybe back down to six, seven? Like, how's that going to maybe not seven, but how is that going to affect them? But uh, Campazzo this year. He's been solid. He's been very solid. So I think he's going to come in and, and make those effort plays. But I think the biggest question, or not question, because I think in this series, they'll be fine. They'll be all right. But moving forward, uh, you're going to need to be able to rely on Michael Porter Jr. Night in and night out. And and where are those other points going to come come from? Like Will Barton, uh, Monty Morris, like where are you going to be able to rely night in and night out? So we'll just have to see what happens. What's Austin Rivers going to look like? How is that? Go- how is he going to be used? Is he going to play every single night? What's the role? There are some questions that I will want to see how that has changed from the regular season to the playoffs, what their rotation truly looks like. But to me, Michael Porter Jr. is the X factor for this team. Without a doubt. I mean, he's up for most improved player this year too. So I think that's a, a huge, huge reason if the Nuggets end up winning this series against Trailblazers. I mean, I think you're right. There really isn't a guard that's going to fill the role of Jamal Murray because Aaron Gordon's been that guy throughout the season for the Nuggets that has been really effective in his pairing with Nikola Jokic. And then when you think about the development of Michael Porter Jr., like I say, he's up for most improved player. There's a chance he wins it. And I think the playoffs could be the reason why he wins that award. Jalen, moving to you, because I think it's interesting 
that Jamal Murray's out because of this backcourt matchup, Damian Lillard on one side and then Excedra on the other side, essentially with Monte Morris, PJ Dozier, Will Barton. Just looking at the series overall, is it Dame time, Jalen? I mean, without a doubt, bro. I think it's it's unsettling, bro, when you look at the way this is set up because this series could have been so much more fun. And I hate to burst everybody's bubble, but when we're talking about the backcourt, Denver is less healthy than y'all really think because P.J. Dozier, Will Barton, they're not playing in game one. Austin Rivers, he's questionable right now. So with that being the case, they're thin, and Monte Morris is their guy right now. Compazzo, love that dude. Honestly, I think he's a very interesting guy. I think he's going to get a lot of PT moving forward. I got him floating around third-team all-rookie, too, in all seriousness, um, as a guy who's been pretty effective for them on the floor. But the reality of the situation is, bro, Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, Carmelo Anthony has been playing relatively well. Norman Powell is another guy who gives them another offensive weapon with the ball in his hands. I think Enos Cantor has been a guy who's been really effective down low for them. I don't expect him to be super serviceable defensively, but I think he's going to give them a presence on the offensive end that's going to force Jokic to have to work on both ends. I think that's going to be kind of important. Um, Robert Covington, bro, look. That trade looked looked great and then turned questionable and now needs to feel exquisite in a series like this where there's not a lot of perimeter play for for Denver to go around. So time to lock up. And your only guy that you're really going to have to follow all night is going to probably be either MPJ or or, um, Aaron Gordon. Got to take the defensive assignment one-on-one, and he's got to be able to take one of those guys out of the game. I think it's going to be harder to take Michael Porter Jr. out than it'll be taking Aaron Gordon out. Nonetheless, he's got to be able to figure out how to do one of those things because otherwise that trade, what are you here for? You know what I mean? Especially in a series like this, again, where the perimeter play for Denver is not really there. So Rocco's only job should be to take on whoever the second most biggest offensive threat is for Denver, whether that's MPJ or Aaron Gordon, however you decide that. So Look, like I said, I wish this series could have been a lot more fun considering uh, if both teams were fully healthy, this team, would, this whole series would look amazing. Because I think Zach Collins for the Trailblazers, uh, if he were healthy, that would also make this extremely interesting as well. So I think Nurkic is going to be a guy, a guy who plays big time in a series like this. Another guy who's going to make uh, make a guy like Jokic work on the other side of the floor. I mean, maybe it is Dave time, bro, because honestly, I think that this is a circumstance where I think despite it being a 3-6 matchup, I think the Trailblazers are just more built to be able to take this game, take this series away. I mean, this has to be another series where you have to get your popcorn ready and watch Nikola Jokic and Damian Lillard do a basically (laughs) triple-double battle for, (laughs) in all honesty, so... I think that there's no doubt that this goes to seven, right? I think tricky. Yeah. I I, personally, I have Denver in six. Uh, I, I think six or seven. I don't think I think five is too short, but I could see it going to seven. Personally. I think most likely it's six. Jalen, what do you think? 
I got Portland in six, bro. I mean, I think I know that Jokic is the MVP, and I mean, in the battle of clutch stats, Nikola Jokic and Damian Lillard check all the metrics, bro. They're one and two with something, like literally. So I think that that's not going to be an issue in terms of getting great late game finishes. I just think at the end of the day that Portland is more built, and I think unfortunately with the guard depth being hit so significantly in game one, I think Portland is going to be able to take the momentum of hopefully taking game one and being able to ride with it. So, I mean, technically the trailblazers have also been the hotter team going into the playoffs than the nuggets, not by much only won two more games than them, but still one of the, one of the better teams entering the playoffs. I think it's just slanted in Portland's favor a little bit. Plus, they got a lot of riding on this, bro, because Terry Stott sees when and getting a little warm. I think everybody kind of understands that he's under a circumstance where it's been discussed all year that if things don't go, you know, the way Portland hopes, and I don't necessarily know if that means a championship, but if Portland cannot progress deep into the playoffs, they're talking about it being big changes around there. So obviously they've got a lot to play for. This series is going to be very interesting. I have Denver in seven. I just have a feeling, though, with this series specifically, this is one that I could be wrong about because of the fact that Damian Lillard is so good and C.J. McCollum is healthy. And the addition of Norman Powell, I think, was it was a top move because of what he provides offensively. And then you look at the defensive side, too, like with Robert Covington, one of the best defenders in the league, and then getting Derek Jones Jr. in the offseason, a nice rotational player that you have coming off the bench. Look, Carmelo Anthony is going to be Carmelo Anthony in the playoffs regardless. So I expect nothing less from him. I'm going to go Nuggets in seven, but it's not a confident Nuggets in seven. (laughs) It's only fitting that we end this podcast off with Lauren's team and the series that actually Lauren predicted an upset possibly. I mean, the Mavericks, the Mavericks have a chance to upset the Clippers in the playoffs. First of all, are you sticking with that? Oh boy, that's really tough. So as of an hour ago, it got reported that Mark Cuban got approved to have the American Airlines Center at near full capacity. So the Clippers have five, they're they're allowing 5,000 fans in their arena. And Dallas just got approved for 15,000 fans. So it's going to be a near full house. So I absolutely think that's going to be a factor. And Dallas has a lot to play for. They've got They've got all the motivation that they could ever want. That being said, the Clippers team is not the same Clippers team from last year. I think that there's enough of an argument that in certain positions they have made upgrades. I know they don't have Trez, but getting Ibaka was huge. I mean, DeMarcus Cousins has been solid enough for them to do what they need when they need it. And when they don't need him, they can look elsewhere. Uh, But Zubox is tough. The Clippers have exactly what they need to match up against a team like Dallas. They can contain Luka, got Paul George, got Kawhi. They've got the big man. Dallas doesn't know what to do when they're faced with any sort of big man that knows how to do anything. Rondo, again, gives Dallas motivation given the Rondo situation, but playoff Rondo is a thing. They needed a point guard. They got a point guard. It's going to be a tough series for Dallas. Personally, if I had to predict with my head and not my heart, I'd say Clippers in six, but It's going to be a tough series, and I still to this day don't even know what this Dallas team is. They play down to their competition, and they play up to their competition. I've seen them take it to teams that are better than them and win multiple times. So 
I, I really don't know what to expect. I know it's not going to be a short series. It's not going to be five. It'll be six or seven. I will promise you that. But I'd have to, I, I do think the Clippers most likely, or I do think the Clippers are going to come out of this series. I, they're even my favorite to come out of the West, if I'm being completely honest with you. But, um, but yeah, I, it's going to be tough. It's really tough because if Dallas comes out of this series, I'm not going to be like, oh yeah, Dallas is now the team that's coming out of the West. No, but they have so many reasons to take it to the Clippers last year. We didn't have Jalen Brunson, didn't have Porzingis for, oh God, like two or three games. Didn't have Dwight. We had zero big men. We had Boban Marjanovic and that we didn't even have Willie Cauley Stein. We had Maxi. So we didn't have anybody. So it is different this year. We don't have Seth Curry. Also a big difference. So there's a lot of moving parts here, but I do think the Clippers will handle their business. I think it's even more interesting considering that when we had you on last, we were talking mm. about the Dallas Mavericks as a possible 10 seed. <laughs> and now they're a fifth seed. Before I move on to Jalen, I just want to get your opinion. What changed with Dallas? Um, the availability. They started they had more consistency with Porzingis and knowing how they were going to use him and what they were going to get from him. They started to gain more of an understanding of what they were really getting from Josh Richardson and who he really was with this team started to figure out where Tim Hardaway jr. Is where they need to put him in order for him to be the most successful really just started to figure out this group and how they need to function in order to be at their best. So, um, the playoffs are going to be interesting. This matchup against the Clippers is going to be really interesting because while Tim Hardaway Jr. is giving you more uh, than Josh Richardson, I expect Josh Richardson to get the start purely to match up against Paul George defensively. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. That could change. That could change. I think lineups are going to be fluid from from Dallas uh, in, in this series. But, uh, but yeah, Dallas is so unpredictable because they've been so inconsistent all season. So we'll just have to see what happens. Kawhi also, there was that interview with him like a couple days ago where he said, I'm capable enough to play. So, I mean, take that for what you will. I don't think he's going to be struggling, hobbling around out there. You can't slow down Kawhi. Kawhi's going to go get his, but is that something where you see him favoring it? What does that look like? I, there's not, I don't think there's going to be a minutes restriction, but that is something I'll keep my eye on. Jalen, I just think it's all the more interesting. I mean, Lauren mentioned Paul George and the matchup possibility with him and Josh Richardson. Given what we saw from Paul George last season, we know he was not the same player that he was when he was in Indiana. Even Oklahoma State, too, where he was in the MVP conversation. What Paul George are we getting in the playoffs this year? I mean, he's been dragging around being playoff P. If it's any time to be, it's now, bro. I mean, in all seriousness, because at the end of the day, let's just call a spade a spade, first of all. Let's let's just call it a full deck. They tanked to get this matchup. This is what they wanted. There's no playing around with it. If you really look at the bracket, the way it lines up, this is the best way, the best way to a championship in the Western Conference. Moving through, starting with the Mavericks, pretty much dodging the Lakers throughout the entirety of this time frame. And in reality, you either getting a hobbled Nuggets team or a Trailblazers team that's going to fight for their lives next. Like that's just the I think that's just the reality of it. So I think. When you look at the Clippers, when you look at their circumstances right now, I hate to inv- I hate to continuously harp on the idea of teams having something to fight for as their reason between willpower and you know you know propelling themselves into winning a series. 
But it's a lot of things that's counting against them if they don't make this happen. Kawhi Leonard hasn't resigned yet. I don't think he's going to go anywhere, but they don't know that. <laughs> this is a team that has been shooting at a historical rate from three-point range, something that I don't think we would associate with a team like this that doesn't really have the kind of personnel, really, at least on paper, to be that kind of team. This was a team that, under Doc Rivers last year, the issue that everybody had with them was that they fell too in love with the mid-range game. Now they're one of the better three-point shooting teams in all of the league, partially in history, if you go check the numbers. This is also a team that made a lot of different plays. I mean, if you saw it throughout this entire the, the entirety of this, this season, they were a team that kind of kept making those moves to avoid the Lakers from making them for them. You know what I mean? You get rid of Trez and you pick up Serge Ibaka, claim it's a upgrade, which I do personally feel as though that is the, the case in terms of a playoff setting. But of course, on paper, that's kind of hard to compare. It's like an apples or oranges thing. But nonetheless, there's the, the sense of the, oh, we upgraded from a guy in Montrez Harrell. When you look at the idea of stealing Rondo away, when you think of the idea of picking up a guy that can ball handle like Nicholas Batum, to put next to these guys to help as another wing facilitator. Obviously, another year with a Vicka Zubac, who's been playing relatively well as um on top of all of this. I mean, I'm not, I mean, the Clippers are in a situation where they kind of have to play up to where all this money is going. Like they've been kind of, I mean, between the, you know, between all the chirping the last season and a half and everything under the sun. They're in a circumstances where they kind of have to play up to the kind of expectations that have been set. I don't think losing to the Mavericks in the first round is your way of proving anything. So obviously it starts with round one and I think they get it done. I agree with Lauren that it goes the distance. Mavericks are not going to go out like no hoe. I like 95 to 99% certain of that because of the circumstance. I do not think that Luca's going to come into a series, a re a, a rematch rubber match series of, at that and take that lightly. So I don't think they're going to go out like, you know, go out bad by any stretch. But I think that the Clippers, they have to win. So I think they're going to win. This is another one where I'm going against the grain. I really like the Dallas Mavericks in this series. I think revenge is on their mind. Healthy Porzingis, healthy Jalen Brunson. I don't trust Paul George in the playoffs. I also don't know what Paul George were getting in the playoffs. All roads point toward Dallas winning this series. I think Tim Hardaway Jr. could be an X factor in this series, especially if he can hit the three. If he can hit the three consistently, he could put up 20 to 25 points a game, honestly, in this series. I don't really see somebody that on the Clippers that matches the three-point shooting production that Tim Hardaway provides outside of Kawhi and PG. This is a series, another one where, where we gotta get our popcorn ready because revenge is on the mind for Luca. Finals is on the mind for PG and Kawhi and what what possibly might be their last season together. Yeah, it's it's an interesting way to look at it. I absolutely would tell every person out there to get your popcorn ready because the Mavericks want all the smoke. They want it all. They're tweeting about it. They're commenting on Instagram posts about it. They want it all. They want this series. They want it bad. And I think a lot of Mavs people have a lot more faith in Carlisle than they have fear for Teron Lu. They're not as concerned as from a strategic standpoint of the matchup there, Tim Hardaway Jr. is going to be a huge X factor. I a, a lot of Mavs people are also wondering how much the 
fan capacity is going to have an impact looking at that Memphis uh, play-in game against San Antonio. I mean, that was a close game and the fans, how loud it was. I mean, it was just, it was crazy. And so is that going to throw off the Clippers in any way? Are, are the Clippers going to be feeling pressure? Are they going to be looking ahead because they think that this is already a done deal? There are a lot of questions that the Mav, that Mavs Twitter and everybody pushing for the Mavs are asking. And so uh, can Porzingis stay consistent? I don't know. There are a lot of questions and we're just going to have to see them go out and prove it from a Mavs perspective. But all that being said, I do think the Clippers are a different team. They have a lot of good pieces and Kawhi is Kawhi. So uh, I think they're ready for the moment and I'm going to say Clippers in six. I think it's Clippers in six too. I think the biggest thing is that if they push it to seven, I wouldn't be shocked. Um, Main thing about if it gets pushed to seven is that I think the Clippers are even more in trouble because they still haven't proven to me that they're great at closing games yet. So I got them in six because I think if they don't drop them in six, I think that's when the shaking in the boots and the PTSD starts <laughs> kicking in. I do not think they want those problems. Transitioning to our question of the day for our fans, which playoff series is the most interesting heading into playoff weekend, heading into the first round of the playoffs, should I say? We would like to thank our guest, Lauren Gunn, for stopping by on the Who Talk podcast. I mean, this was another great conversation. So <laughs> it always is with you guys. This was another great episode of the Who Talk podcast. Of course, make sure when you subscribe to us on Apple, you rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you guys next episode. Peace.